Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And in this week's episode of our podcast, we are continuing to explore some of the events that take place during the last week of Jesus's life. The last week, the week that leads up to his crucifixion and his resurrection, a week that we in the church call Holy Week. Now, in our last episode, we spent our time talking about what happened on Holy Sunday when Jesus first entered into Jerusalem. But in this week's episode, we're moving past Sunday and we're going to be talking about something that takes place on Monday. And on Monday, Jesus enters into the temple. So in this sermon, we're going to be exploring what happens when Jesus goes into the temple, why it takes place, and what it can teach us about how we can follow God even in difficult times today. So let's get right into this morning's sermon. Well, the countdown to Easter is officially on. We're now just five Sundays away from Easter after that. But this year we're treating these weeks that lead up to Easter a little bit different than we typically do. Now, most years we spend the weeks leading up to Easter talking about how we can reconnect with God, or how we can grow closer to God, or how we can take our faith in God to the next level. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with talking about any of those things or all of those things as Easter draws closer, especially if Easter were to happen in a vacuum, isolated, all on its own. But Easter doesn't happen in a vacuum. Easter happens in the real world. Easter happens in the real world, and in the real world, our problems don't get solved just because Easter is coming. In the real world, our struggles don't go away just because Easter is coming. In the real world, our hard times don't get any easier just because Easter is coming. So this year, Instead of sitting in the sanctuary and pretending that life is all sunshine and rainbows, we're going to spend the next few weeks leading up to Easter talking about things that we need to know to help us continue to follow God even in difficult times. And we're doing that by exploring some of the events that take place during one of the most difficult times in the history of our faith, one of the most difficult times in the life of our Savior. So we're working our way through some of the events that happen in the week that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, a week that we in the church call Holy Week. And we started out last week by exploring what happened on the Sunday of Holy Week. And we saw Jesus. We saw Jesus come riding into Jerusalem on that Sunday, on the back of a donkey, while a great crowd greeted him like he was a conquering king. And that story taught us the first thing that we need to know to continue to follow God even in difficult times today. And the first thing that we need to know is that we have to keep the right perspective in life. We need to remember that no matter what the world may bring, Jesus is always king. Well, this morning we are putting that, the story of Jesus' triumphal entry behind us, and we're going to focus in on an event that takes place on Holy Monday. So let me encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible, whether you've got a printed one like this or you've got an app on your phone, and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and just to remind you, Mark is one of 
four biographies of Jesus that we have in the Bible. So let's see what Mark has to tell us about what happened on Holy Monday. Mark chapter 11, we're going to start reading together in verse 15. Mark writes, they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they came into Jerusalem. Remember, at the end of the last week's story, they went back out after they had entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. Well, now they have come back into Jerusalem again. After entering the temple, Jesus threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them. Hasn't it been written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You've turned it into a hideout for crooks. The chief priests and the legal experts heard this, and they tried to find a way to destroy him. They regarded Jesus as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled by his teaching. When it was evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city again. So as this scene plays out in Mark's Gospel, It's a little hard for us to wrap our minds around because it's just so different than anything that we have ever seen or experienced in our lives when we have gone to church before. I mean, let's face it, the last thing that any of us would expect to see outside of our sanctuary on Sunday morning cows, sheep, doves. But that's exactly what is outside of the temple when Jesus and his disciples arrived there. And it doesn't take long in the story before Jesus is rushing through the temple, turning over tables and releasing these animals. But why? Why does Jesus do that? I mean, it may seem clear to us that animals have no place in our churches today, but why didn't they belong in the temple when Jesus was there. Well, the first thing that we all need to remember is that worship in the temple is completely different than worship in our churches, and it's even radically different than worship inside of Jewish synagogues today. Throughout most of the Old and the New Testament, worshipers were required to do something that none of us have ever had to do. Worshipers were required to bring burnt offerings, or sacrifices when they came to the temple. So animals like cows and sheep and doves would have been an everyday common sight there. So just because we've never seen livestock roaming around in our churches on a Sunday morning, that doesn't mean that these animals had no place in the temple in Jerusalem. And there's also something else that we need to remember about worshiping in the temple in biblical times, too. Nowadays, when we roll out of bed on a Sunday morning and we decide that we're going to head off to church, we have a lot of different churches that we can pick from. I did a Google search just to figure out just how many churches there are in the city of Louisville. And with one quick search, I found that there are over 500 churches, including 170 Baptist churches like ours, in the city of Louisville alone. That's a lot of churches and a whole lot of options. 
But even in smaller towns, like the town that I served in as a pastor before I came to Louisville, there were almost a dozen churches inside of the city limits. There were a dozen churches in a city, a town that's population was 1,972 people. Think about that for just a second. That's a lot of churches for not that many people. But in biblical times, there was one temple. One temple that every Jewish person would have wanted to worship. One temple. And everybody who wanted to worship at that temple, they had to travel to one place in Jerusalem to do so. And this meant that people had to travel from all over the world just to worship this temple. So, yeah, some of these people might come from just down the street, a little bit further out in Jerusalem, but other people may have come from hundreds of miles away. But once any of these people, whether they were right next door to the temple or hundreds of miles away, once they arrived at the temple, they were expected to bring a burnt offering or to bring a sacrifice with them. And this meant that people had to travel all the way from their homes, however far away that may have been, all the way to Jerusalem, dragging a cow or a sheep or some birds right along with them. And if traveling all of those miles weren't enough, you didn't just have to pack up Bessie or Baba Black Sheep or the birds that you were bringing with you. You had to pack out long enough food to feed them along the entire journey. And let's just say that it's not exactly convenient to haul enough food to feed a cow while you're traveling hundreds of miles just to visit the temple in Jerusalem. So the people in charge of the temple, at some point along the way, they came up with a great idea. And it is a great idea. They decided that instead of forcing people to haul their own animals for hundreds of miles all over creation, they would allow vendors to set up shop inside of the temple to sell the animals that people needed for their burnt offerings and their sacrifices when visitors actually arrived in Jerusalem at the temple. So all of these animals that Jesus drives out of the temple inside of the story, they were actually in the temple for a reason. They were there to make it easier for people to come and worship God without having to worry about bringing along an animal or packing enough food. All they had to worry about was getting to church, getting to the synagogue, getting to the temple to worship God. And what about the money changers inside of the story? Well, once again, it would be a pretty strange sight in our churches today if when we walked outside of the sanctuary, there was a little bank set up right outside of the doors. But you have to remember that the temple was very different than our churches are today. Today, our churches rely on the generosity of our members, regular attenders, and our guests to contribute to our offering so that we can continue to do the work that God calls us to do. But things worked a little bit different in the temple. In the temple, instead of relying on the generosity of people, the temple actually required everyone who visited to pay a tax. They had to pay a tax, and they weren't allowed to pay this tax with just any old money that they had in their pockets when they arrived. They were not allowed to pay the temple tax with any money that had a human's image on it. Like Rome's coins. These were graven images forbidden inside of the temple. 
So, they had to figure out a way around this. If you weren't allowed to pay with Rome's coins, if you weren't allowed to use foreign currency, how could you pay the temple tax? What did it mean inside a temple? Well, it meant that the people there, when they arrived, they had to be able to convert their money. They had to be able to convert their money, whatever they had in their pockets, they had to be able to convert that into the appropriate currency that could actually be used and given in the temple. And how did they do that? Well, they did it the same way that we go about converting our money today. If you are planning on taking a trip to Europe and you want to take cash when you go, then you are going to stop by a bank that can transfer your money, that can change it out, that can exchange your American dollars into euros. But instead of visiting a bank before they left home, the temple offered money changers. People who literally changed money, converted it from whatever denominations they had when they arrived into money that could be used in the temple. And again, all of this was to make it easier for people to make it to the temple. Easier to only focus in on coming into God's presence instead of worrying about dragging along sacrifices or exchanging money before they got there. So why did Jesus turn over tables where the money changers are sitting? Why does he let all of these animals go? Because Jesus can't just be overturning these tables. He can't be running these people out of the temple because they're trying to make it easier for people to come and worship God. There's got to be something else that's happening in the story that drives Jesus to a point that he is so furious, so furious that he runs the money changers and the animals out of the temple. <coughs> Excuse me. And in verse 16, Jesus tells us what it is that's happened that makes him this angry. In verse 16, Jesus says what the temple is supposed to be. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all people all nations, but you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. You've taken what was meant for good and made it evil. This is why Jesus is mad. This is why Jesus is angry. This is why Jesus is furious about what's been happening in the temple. Jesus is so mad that he's going to cleanse the temple, drive the animals and the money changers out of the sacred space because they've taken something that was created to do good and they've turned it into something that they use for evil. And although, <coughs> although none of the Gospels directly spell it out for us, we're left with a pretty deep impression about what the money changers, what these vendors have been doing inside of the temple that has caused Jesus to say it has become a den of crooks, a hideout for crooks. 
we're left with the impression that these money changers and these vendors, they've been ripping off everybody who has been coming into the temple area. We're led to believe that the money changers, that they weren't executing a fair rate of exchange for the money that they were receiving. They were charging too much for their services, lining their own pockets with the profits that they were making. And we're led to believe that the animal vendors were either overcharging or were selling inferior animals at full price in an attempt to make a few extra bucks for themselves, too. But one way or the other, just by reading this passage, we can see that the practice of selling animals and changing money in the temple, although it was good in concept, it turned out to be very evil in practice. (coughs) Instead of helping potential worshipers, come in and be closer to God without worrying about a million other things. The money changers, the animal vendors, they were driving people away from the temple instead. And Jesus wasn't going to stand for that. So he overturned the tables. He ran the money changers out of the temple. He let the animals go free. So here's the question for What's that actually have to do with us today? More specifically, what can this story teach us that can help us follow God even in the difficult times that we face in our lives right now? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I am experiencing hard times in my life, when I am going through difficult times in my life, my emotions tend to run a little bit higher. I tend to get a little bit angrier about silly, non-essential things. And when I get angry, when I get upset, I never have a problem justifying why it is that I've gotten angry, why it is that I've become upset. I never have a problem justifying my anger. And that's because every time that I get mad, I know that I'm right. Every time I get mad, I know that I'm right. And you can say the exact same thing about yourself, too. Every time you get mad, you know that you are right. So, (coughs) when I get angry at McDonald's because they messed up my breakfast order, I know that I placed the order correctly. They're the ones that made the mistake. Or when I'm out and I'm driving in my car and the car sitting behind me in traffic honks their horn at me, I get mad because I know I have been obeying every traffic law and regulation there is. And when I get angry when I'm sitting around watching UK's basketball game, I know, I know that I'm getting mad because the referees blew a call. And that happened a lot yesterday, I don't know what was going on. Because I could clearly see that they missed it with my own two eyes. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is that makes me angry. It's okay. It's okay that I'm angry. Because in my head, I also know that I'm right. But here's what we need to learn from the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. Here's what I need to learn, and I have a feeling you need to learn it too. Here it is. Just because I think I'm right, it doesn't mean my anger is righteous. Just because I think I am right, that doesn't mean that my anger is righteous. You see, we've taken this story of Jesus being upset in the temple, and we've turned it into a tool that we use. 
We look at this and we say, even Jesus got angry, so it must be okay if I get angry too. But there's a big difference between why Jesus gets upset in this story, why he gets so mad that he drives the money changers and the animal vendors out of the temple, and why we get upset. We get upset because we're not getting our own way. We get upset because things didn't turn out the way we expected them to. We get upset because the world around us is dealing us a difficult hand. Jesus is upset because people, people were using tools and resources inside of the temple to actively drive other folks away from God instead of pulling them closer to him. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If my anger, if my anger is not righteous like Jesus's was, then I need to let it go. And if your anger is not righteous like Jesus's anger is inside of this story, then you need to let it go too. But how do you know if your anger is actually righteous? Because again, we always think that we're valid. We always think we're justified being angry because we always think that we're right. So how do we know if our anger is not because we're right, but because it's coming from a place of righteousness? Well, in his book entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage, Ed Stetzer points out three characteristics of righteous anger that will help you know if your anger is righteous or not. You may want to write these down when we get to them. It's important to remember. First thing that Ed Stetzer says is that righteous anger is directed toward things that anger God. Righteous anger is directed at things that anger God. What does that mean? Well, there are some things that happen in our daily lives that probably don't tear God up the same way they tear us up. Like when you go to McDonald's and they forget to take the ketchup off of your cheeseburger. That probably doesn't infuriate God the way that it infuriates you. What makes God angry are things like injustice, corruption, hypocrisy, immorality, the oppression of the poor and the needy, when we take advantage of people that can't take care of themselves. So if your anger isn't directed at things that anger God, it's not righteous. The second characteristic of righteous anger, according to Ed Stetzer, is that righteous anger mirrors the way that God is angry. Righteous anger mirrors the way that God is angry. And God's anger always comes from a place that a lot of our anger doesn't come from. God's anger comes from a place of love and faithfulness. This is the anger that you have when you're raising kids. And you see them making mistakes that you know aren't good for them. You're not angry because of their misbehavior. You're angry because you know what's best for them. You love them. You're faithful to them. So when you get mad at somebody for reasons that, that don't mirror the way that God gets angry, your anger isn't justified. Think about it this way. When you're out driving in traffic and somebody honks their horn at you in traffic for whatever reason, you need to ask yourself how you actually feel about that person in that moment. And I doubt that most of us would say, that person behind me in traffic right now who just laid on their horn, that is a child of God who is deeply loved by their creator, and they are just making an honest mistake. No, that's not what we say. What do we say? 
What a jerk. Learn how to drive. Get off the road. Difference between righteous anger and the anger that we have. The third characteristic of righteous anger is that it submits to God's role as the ultimate judge. Righteous anger submits to God's role as the ultimate judge. And what does that mean? Well, it means that most of the time when you and I get mad, we want vengeance. We want vengeance. We want the person who has angered us to get what they deserve, to get what they have coming. And sometimes we even try to make sure that to figure out ways that they can get their comeuppance. But righteous anger knows that God is the ultimate judge, that God is the only one who can deliver real justice. So if you want to grow closer to God, even in difficult times, you have to keep an eye on your anger. Because when you're going through hard times, you're going to get mad. You're going to get upset about it. You're going to get angry over it. But if your anger isn't righteous anger, and nine times out of ten at least, it's not, you have to be able to let that anger go. At least nine out of ten times, the stuff that you're angry about aren't things that God's going to be angry about. When that happens, you have to be able to let that anger go. If you don't, that anger is just going to drive a deeper wedge between you and God and you and other people. So if you want to follow God, even in difficult times, you have to pay attention to how you're feeling. You have to address your own anger. You have to learn about yourself. When to let it go. And trust God instead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story this morning that we've read about Jesus entering into the temple and the way that he cleansed that temple. God, as we read this story, though, we too often use this as justification for ourselves, getting angry or upset about whatever is happening in our lives. But God, we need to see and we need to realize that Jesus wasn't angry for the same things, same reasons that we get upset. Jesus' anger in this situation was truly out of righteousness. Jesus couldn't stand to see people being driven away from you because of the way that other folks were behaving. So God, my prayer is that you help each of us to see when our anger is righteous, when it's not. And allow us to move past any anger that is not righteous. Because God, when we're just mad, Nothing good comes from that. When we're just mad, we drive a wedge between ourselves. We drive a wedge between you. We drive a wedge between other people, God. And that's not what you want. You are a great loving God, a God who cares deeply about us all, a God who wants us to love you and to love each other the same way that you love us all. So God, help us to put aside our anger when it's not righteous and to trust you. Love you instead. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, hey there, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed this deeper exploration of the story of Jesus cleansing the temple and realized that Jesus didn't just cleanse the temple because animals were being sold there, money was being exchanged there. Jesus cleansed the temple because the people, the people that were selling the animals and changing the money, they were taking advantage of other folks and they were driving those people away from God. So that led to Jesus's righteous anger. But most of the time, our anger isn't righteous. Our anger is self-serving. Our anger is selfish, but it's not righteous. And if our anger isn't righteous, it's only going to lead us away from God and drive a wedge between us and other people. So if you want to be closer to God, if you want to grow closer to God, even in difficult times, you've got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention to how you're feeling, what's making you angry, and reflect on that and see if it's really a righteous anger or not. And if it's not righteous, you got to let it go or you're never going to grow closer to God. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue to explore stories from Holy Week. And in the next episode, we're going to explore a story that you may not have even realized took place during this week. So we encourage you to come back and join us next Sunday for another episode of this podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app, and it'll be sent straight to your, to your inbox. And as always, just want to let you guys know that I'm praying for you this week. Hope you have a great week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.